0: This week on the Sport Sportplugs.
1: This week in our 150th episode, we chat to Perth's own Steve McCracken, who's living out the Aussie dream of playing AFL in Norway. We chat about the recent Europe Cup, the rise of AFL across the continent, and a slew of
0: dick jokes. Lots of fun as always. Let's go. It's 10.15 Western Australia Standard Time, 4.15 in Norway, and that will become more apparent in a moment. On Thursday, the 4th of May, 2023, may the 4th be with you, Stewie. We had a false start on our 100th episode. Here we are for the 150th. So in the 50th, in the yeah. 50th, we raised the bat. In the 100th, we took the helmet off with a bit of a fist pump. What do we do for the 150? Can we do the Toyota jump now or where, where do we leave we'd it? probably retire hurt. <laughs> well, you did say that we'd be run out after the hundred. so yeah,
1: <laughs> you're on <true>. point. <laughs> very, very true. No, it's it's funny because we actually kind of almost had a false start. To, well, we technically did have a false start to this one. We were meant to record yesterday, but some dickhead decided to uh, double book himself, namely me.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Shui, it was for sport, so you can it be was. forgiven.
1: And we did win very, very comfortably. So, yes, slight uh, positive to come out of that.
0: Very good. Very good. Now... A bit of a change from our normal or more recently normal, very NBA heavy. And don't worry, we'll get NBA heavy again very soon. But a very AFL and footy heavy episode today. So I think it makes sense to call it the opening bounce and I'll let you tap it off. Yes, Nathan, in true opening bounce fashion, I've decided to
1: start with the world of women's poker.
0: Ah, It's funny you say that, Chewie. I've got a very women's sport focused opening bounce myself. There you go.
1: So I don't know if you've seen this, mate, but there's a guy in Florida who is getting a lot of backlash after winning an all-women's poker tournament. This guy's name is David Hughes, not the hughes but uh, a, <laughs> Or the New South West 70- cricketer. <laughs> or, or Yes, but neither of the above. But this guy's a 70-year-old who lives in Delton, Florida, and decided to participate in the $250 No Limit Texas Hold'em game at the World Series of Poker's Ladies event at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood over the weekend this sorry it's a very lengthy intro paragraph but it's just like this is nuts this guy has paid 250 bucks to get into this tournament as a guy and he's managed to basically take out the whole tournament now he hasn't won a stupidly large amount i think he took home about five and a half thousand dollars but when it's specifically labeled as a a women's tournament this is where once again we're seeing those real gray areas kind of opened up in the world of sports and And sports entertainment or whatever you want to call poker and yeah basically a lot of people are very very disappointed about this people putting out a bounty on this guy um not like an actual like a killing bounty but a bounty on trying to get him knocked out of the tournament and uh yeah geez there's a a lot of a lot of people not too happy about this guy entering
0: dare i say given some of the discussion in this episode stewie it was a very dick move by him
1: it was a real dickberg move And the crazy thing about it is that the the tournament itself, they they don't actually, what they've done is they've prohibited excluding men from competing in these women's tournaments, but they discourage them by basically giving the women a 90% discount on the entry fee. So they're only paying $25, whereas he's paying $250. It's, uh, the whole thing is just crazy.
0: That's bizarre. That is bizarre.
1: And it's not even like he can sit there and say, oh, look, I I really identify as a female. This is an old guy with, like, a Colonel Sanders beard. So yeah.
0: So, mate, on that note, what have you got? Well, firstly, an apology for neglecting to mention this the last time we recorded. Unfortunately, rest in peace to Faith Thomas, Australia's first Aboriginal woman to play cricket for Australia, the 48th player to receive a test cap, playing England in 1958, Faith did pass away at age 90, though, so to appropriately use a cricketism, a very good knock. The Liberty A-League drew 9,519 to the 2023 grand final recently when Sydney FC defeated Western United 3-0, making it the largest attended women's A-League match in history. So that's some great news.
1: Nath, it's so interesting that you bring that up. I Honestly, I cannot remember for the life of me what I saw in terms of the numbers, but I remember something that passed through my, my Twitter feed earlier today. And I was actually looking at the Man City women's team and just, I guess, the transformation over the few years of the the crowds they've been getting, starting off with a few hundred in some of their first games and up well into the tens of thousands of the quality of the football that they're putting out. And I guess just the recognition that a lot of these women are getting for what they're doing now.
0: And by the way, if you build it, they will come too, right? Most of the time. Sticking with good news in women's sports, I saw a story a week ago about a 43-year-old called Jenny Newen of Portland, Oregon, who took the gamble of risking her entire life savings to start a bar that played only women's sports. Now, skeptics would have told her that she was mad, but she already had racked in a million bucks after just eight months, and the bar recently celebrated its first year anniversary. So a big shout out to her and well done. Yeah,
1: really, really great to see. Geez, that'd be fun to watch that, because obviously, I mean, we love all things sports, so it d- doesn't really bother us what's going on. As long as it's got a round ball and people are running around trying to throw it into something or kick it into something, we're all about it.
0: Want to hazard a guess of the name? Oh, It's called the Sports Bra.
1: <laughs>
0: nice. That's clever. So yes, if you're ever in Portland, go and check out the Sports Bra. And just finally, because we are about to throw to the interview, so I won't dwell too much at the top here. Apologies, the sounds a little bit funny at times with three of us all in different places, but it's pretty good for the most part. gets a little bit funny at the end, but I'll do my best to fix that in the edit. Anyway, for our fellow Perthlings, just a reminder that High Voltage will be this Sunday, May 7th in Wallyup and Frio. And of course, the reason I mentioned that is because the ginger assassin himself, Alex Roberts, will be joined by Billy Damage. And of course, we recommend everyone check out our episodes with The Ginge if you haven't already, episodes 95, 95 95.2, 143 and 144 for plenty of insights and laughs about the world of air guitar, among other things, plenty of sport too, of course. Good times. So, Shui, let's get stuck in.
1: Yeah, such a great conversation, really in-depth answers, not the sort of typical answers you would get from sporting folk.
0: We had a lot of fun, we think you will too. Let's go. Aussie Rules footy has been all over the news lately, and not just here in Australia. Where we've gone from Gather Round in South Australia, where I might remind everyone that only a picture of the mainland was on every ground, Sands, Tasmania, to a mere couple of weeks later, with Tassie being granted AFL's 19th license. But it's also drawn huge news abroad, thanks to Mason Cox and his recent interview on 60 Minutes. If you like the sport, chances are you know about Jimmy Steins and the Gaelic connection. Then, of course, there was Ty Kennelly, Zach Tui. the list goes on and on. You might know that ESPN not only broadcast games during the pandemic, as we've discussed on previous episodes, but also had a slew of games as a fledgling station before it was able to purchase the rights to big American sports that it has today. But do you know about AFL Europe? Even if you do, please stick around, because our guest today not only plays for the Oslo Crows, but is an absolute bloody legend and one of our very best mates. Admittedly, it was kind of serendipitous rather than planned to time with the Mason Cox stuff, but nonetheless, a very special sport blokes, welcome to Steve McCracken. G'day sports blokes, long time listener, first time caller. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> love it. I How love are it. you mate? Thanks for joining us today. I hear it's uh, a, a chilly eight degrees over in Oslo at the moment.
2: Sunny and eight degrees, yeah. It's been the uh, the winter from hell and uh, I spent a month in Australia and it was still the winter from hell. So it's, yeah, it was snowing as of three days ago still. So it's a bit crazy, but yeah. Uh, I think summer is around the corner, finally. We can Hopefully it hope. be a good
1: two weeks for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, the best of times.
1: Nath, I did want to just quickly go back to one of the bits of your intro. I thought it was incredibly ironic that they left Tasmania off the Gather Round maps, like literally two weeks before they announced Tassie as that 19th license. That is, it's just, it's so ironic.
0: Isn't it just, which is exactly why I pointed it out? I just, I don't know how many people noticed. I'm sure there were a lot of people that noticed, but I guess they'll be pretty happy now they've got their license. So all will be forgiven there.
1: Any ideas for names, guys?
0: The map of Tazzies.
1: Map of Tazzies? Yeah, that would be that'd be a good little middle
0: finger. Oh, uh, that's on point for our Just Not Cricket uh, this evening, Steve, which I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, Jack Jumpers, if you're listening, looks like they might grab those Tazzy Devils, even if they do have to talk to Corey and Chad Warner.
2: Is that yeah. too close to demons or does that not matter? It's
1: a good question. It's a good question. There's obviously, yeah, the copyright stuff with Warner Brothers is, uh I, I did to get that reference, Nate, that was a little bit random. But, um, but yeah, if, if they can get past, obviously, the copyright issues there, it would be good to have. Doesn't really leave much else, does it? I think what else is like, yeah, local to, to Tasmania aside from those bloody jack jumpers.
0: Demons and devils, you could have something to do with hell or something, you know, welcome to hell or something. There'd be an interesting marketing ploy there. Mm. Now, we'll get to the AFL a little bit later, potentially, depending on how our chat goes. But first, we've got to talk about AFL Europe. Now, I've done a little bit of research, admittedly, not as much as I would have liked, because as you can no doubt hear in my voice, if you're a regular listener, I have been sick as a dog for the last week. But. What I realised recently, thanks Wikipedia, Australian rules football was actually played outside Australia as early as 1888, when Aussie studying at Edinburgh University and London University forms teams and competed in London. But what we want to talk about today is the International Cup and AFL Europe. And I guess, Steve, perhaps you could tell us where you fall into that as a member of the Oslo Crows.
2: Yes, so um, I joined the Crows. I knew about them for years, but... uh... As you two know, you know I I lived for quite a while in Stavanger, uh, another city in Norway, uh, where there was no team. So it wasn't until I moved to Oslo that I had the sort of the opportunity to play. Uh, but then with young kids and whatnot, it was only really the last six months, twelve months that I've had a chance to actively go down there and train and have a kick. And so that's how I sort of I knew about them for a long time, but uh, I've only started playing for them the last yeah six months, nine months or so. But um, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, we've got an interesting issue here in, in Norway, because the tournament that we recently played, that was the a Champions League tournament is what they call it. And that is the best team from each country representing at this tournament. But Norway only has one team, which is the Oslo Crows. So we have a bit of an issue in that we've often struggled to qualify for it, because they say, well, you, you haven't played any sort of Le- yeah, fixtures rounds so you don't you can't qualify but we we got in this uh, this time um sort of with some explanations and, and and did pretty well so what changed um i don't know to be i think they expanded the tournament a little bit so so this year there were 16 teams competing i think um and i'm not sure if there's been that many in the past but we also you know we i think they maybe had some pity on us as well that we there's no real way that we can you know we can't can't play another team there was there was previously a, a second team in norway and they were the uh what were they called the the ors battlers which i thought was a pretty good name <laughs> um that's ors not us although it's double double a s
1: is that the beer the same place as the beer
2: yes yeah, same, same yeah same place as the beer well the beer is actually brewed in Drammen but yeah the name comes from it's the same kind of name it's it's eastern sort of eastern suburbia of Oslo so there what there was a second team but i believe they're sort of in hibernation uh, i think that's the problem with a lot of teams around europe is that they might they might sort of get a team together for a few years but then as people get older and uh, retire so to speak it, it's hard to to backfill it, it can be boom and bust a bit so if you go to the AFL Europe website, you know, there's probably, you scroll down, there's probably 60 teams or something. But how many are actually active? Probably half that. But no, we, yeah, so we did manage to get get in and uh, I think we, we represented pretty well in the end.
0: So let's start with Oslo first, Steve. And, and obviously you mentioned kind of getting back in it. I remember playing in the year nine lightning carnival with you and laying massive tackles on blokes twice your height and all that sort of thing while I was basically resting in the forward line for my one goal the entire the entire carnival. But uh, I did take one, Mark. Anyway, um, how many of them are expats and how'd you go kind
2: of knocking on the door of 40, getting back into it? Because it's a pretty hard game to play. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, as you say, I, haven't, I hadn't played a competitive game of football since 1998. So that's, that's 25 years. Uh, that was the last year I played for the Korean, uh, Korean Cougars. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, you can, you can do all the training in the world. And uh, we've got another disadvantage up here in Scandinavia where, you know, we're training through winter. Um, it's, there's a meter of snow outside. So all of our training was inside on basically a basketball court. So, so you can't tackle because you'll end up with burns. Pretty, li- You can't really move around. It's, it's more just kicking back and forth and sort of handball drills and things, whereas pretty much every other team there uh, can play or train outside all year round. So that was a bit of a disadvantage for us. But yeah, 40, I'm, I'm the oldest uh, member um, by I think about a year. There's two of us that are, that are pushing 40, but then the rest of them are all early 30s, late 20s. So for me, you know, it was... Bit of a shock to the system, I got to say. We did play a, a scratch match last year. It was we managed to get sort of I don't know twenty odd together uh, and, and do a bit of a ten on ten type thing. Uh, and that was the first that was the first time I'd played any sort of footy since I think twenty twelve. Um, and within five minutes, I did a hammy. So oh. and I've never done a hammy in my life. So just <laughs> you are an Englishman. To- <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Yep. So I I didn't even know what that felt like, but now I do. So that was me done for probably a month, you know? So then it was a bit like, okay, this is not like, it, it was that realization that you're not 20-something anymore. You're going to have to warm up properly. You're going to have to use the old deep heat, all these kind of things. So I came to Paris where the where the Champions League was played, prepared, you know, with with this Tiger Balm. Uh, they don't have the <laughs> deep heat, so it's the Tiger Balm. Tiger you know.
1: Bomb.
2: Had a bunch, smells the same, had a bunch of that stuff, you know, was ready uh, to go. So thankfully he didn't do hammies, but got injured in other ways.
1: One of the great things, obviously, for us being mates with you was you were able to share the YouTube links and it's great to see that that sort of stuff is getting broadcast on YouTube and we were able to tune in and watch a couple of the games. And one of the games in particular was against a team from Croatia and they were a big unit of of players. And one of those in particular guys just absolutely poleaxed you across the boundary, copped a a pretty nasty bounce. Let's uh, let's be fair, and it didn't sit up nicely, and he's just crushed you. So, talk us through, I guess, what it's like playing against these guys who maybe have traditionally played other sports that are maybe a little bit more—I don't want to say barbaric, but maybe maybe a little bit uh, a bit rougher.
0: And I might yeah. piggyback off. Sorry, I might Go piggyback ahead. off Stewie's question with a little follow-up there and ask, what's the balance with expats to people from other nations? Because if I'm not mistaken, did uh, yeah. you say there wasn't one Aussie in the Croat team?
2: Yeah, no, you're sorry. I forgot to answer that. So I'll answer that first. Yeah. Going into this, I thought pretty much every team is going to be 90% Aussies and, you know, a handful of of locals. But I was massively surprised by how many locals are in these teams. Um, It's not the case for Oslo. Uh, We are yeah, majority Aussies with maybe, I don't know, four or five. Um, maybe a bit more five, maybe let's say eight uh, eight locals and say 15 Aussies uh, that sort of regularly attend training and things. And most of those Norwegians studied in Australia. So that's how they got into the game. Although, curiously, one of them has never been to Australia. So I asked him, you know, how did you get into this game? And he said he just sort of randomly saw it on, you know, whatever it was, ESPN or something one day and loved it and got into it that way. But yeah, a lot of the teams that we played... You know, they, they were entirely locals. So this Croatian team from, from sort of the Zagreb region, they were all Croatian. A lot of the Irish teams, uh, there was uh, Belfast and uh, a few teams from Dublin and Cork, pretty much entirely Irish. Although that one's, I guess, a bit more understandable. The French team, the local teams that played, uh, that were hosting Paris teams, almost entirely French. So that was really, really cool to see, actually. Uh, that, that this sport is actually sort of got grassroots. It's not just surviving on Aussie expats. So that, I guess that's answering your question, Nathan and Stu. Yeah, that Croatian team were massive. They, they were probably the biggest team we came up against. Uh, them and the Edinburgh Bloods, just big guys. I think a lot of them probably played rugby in the past and then then got into this game. Uh, yeah, pretty intimidating, to be honest. But, you know, we we had nothing to lose uh we don't get to play these kind of tournaments very often so it was just give it everything you've got um yeah that guy got me good right on the boundary line um i was in a fair bit of space thought i had time i mean this is just when you don't play a competitive game for for 25 years you just forget sort of the closing speed of of people even if they're bigger you know so i thought i had more time than i did probably should have kept sort of pushing it along the boundary but i just picked it up and then looked up and he was right there and just yeah spear tackled me straight over the boundary which didn't hurt at the time but then as the games went on I could feel my ribs were really sore and uh here we are you know what is it maybe five weeks later I can still feel uh it's not 100% so yeah it was it was full on you know really bruising um and I think the thing that made things worse for us was that the weather was crap uh I think it was about three four degrees cloudy sort of Windy, really windy all day, just freezing Um, and rain sort of coming and going. And when you, you know, it was like a lightning carnival type style, as you said, Nath, back in the day. So you played these relatively short games. It was 10 minute halves. So you play a game, then you'd rest for, say, half an hour or an hour, then you'd play again. And so, yeah, we played, I think, five games in total over the day. And you're just sort of seizing up, you know, you have to warm up every time. And the body just starts to seize up after a couple of games. So we had a few people dropping, like flies, uh, injuries everywhere, but every team was in the same boat.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting going back to one of the things you mentioned, Steve, about how, I I guess, yeah, places like Ireland, obviously they would have things like the, the international rules that a lot of them have probably grown up watching over the past however many years, obviously a big rugby nation as well. So they're kind of used to similar kind of sports, and so I guess it, it kind of makes sense that a lot of these places—I mean, France is another one as well. The French very, very good at rugby, so it kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, that a lot of these teams are quite strong, even if they don't have these Australian expats. But it is a different game.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely, and that's a perfect opportunity to ask about the rules, Steve, because they're not kind of—it's a modified field, and it's not a full eighteen aside, is it?
2: I think if it was eighteen aside. A lot of these, uh, you know, teams would struggle to fill it. I mean. We so it was nine a side, basically uh, three, 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 three in the forward, three in the middle, three in the back, and then you're playing on a rugby pitch basically, uh, and we even had rugby goals at each end, and then they sort of stuck some sticks to the to the left and right of the rugby posts to to get to get the points. So it's a bit modified and you'd think nine versus nine, there'd just be acres of space, but uh, I'm surprised how small the standard rugby pitch is. So it never felt like you had much space, you know, there's always people right there and it was yeah really hard to sort of get a kick away. And uh, so that was obviously, yeah, modified pitch, modified number of players, I think to, to make sure you get competitive games because they'd struggled to, to have 18, a lot of the teams at least um, outside of say the UK and, and Ireland would struggle to have 18 fit blokes all the time. But then you had also, they changed the rules in terms of there was no deliberate out-of-bounds, which I found interesting. Um, Not sure why they did that. Maybe it's just easier to umpire. But that sort of, we used that to a bit of our advantage in terms of the tactics. So we always said that, look, if if you got the ball, you're not sure what to do with it. Uh, You know, there's people sort of bearing down on you. Just kick it out just obviously not on the full, but just kick it along the boundary and kick it out because we weren't going to get penalized for it. So there was that one. Other than that, I think most of the rules were fairly, or they, um, they also, they, they did keep the rule that sort of relatively new AFL rule of standing on your mark. So you weren't allowed to sort of move on the mark. You know how they're all, they're shouting stand these days yeah. in the AFL. It was kind of the same thing. So they, you know they implemented what is a fairly modern rule there but then the deliberate out of bounds they didn't they didn't bother with so yeah a few strange things but mostly in line with today's rules
0: now i know that not every country uses the metric system steve tell me that they're just as shit at working out what 15 meters is as they are here in australia
2: yeah absolutely no that's it's meters in europe but they're still no good at it so <laughs> that that rule is, uh, I don't know why they bother with that rule, to be honest, anymore. Yeah, it's it's just not used, is it, really, effectively?
1: No. I did actually think it was interesting, though, Yeah, that they wouldn't have the deliberate, you would have thought, if anything, they would skew the other way and sort of do the last out, off the last hands, is who gets the free kick. You know, you put it out, the other team gets to put it back into play. You'd think they'd almost play it more like that.
2: Yeah, considering sort of nine aside side and, and relatively short 10-minute halves, you'd think it would just be sort of go, 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 where, yeah, a way to speed the game up would be basically whoever, whoever is the last to touch it, it's straight back to the other player. That could be a way to speed up the game, perhaps. Mm, definitely.
0: Now, you talked about the blokes, but there were plenty of Sheilas out there too. I know on the game on YouTube that I watched, the North London women were playing the Edinburgh women prior to your game.
2: Yeah, yep. there was uh, sort of two competitions going on simultaneously, men's and women's. I think they had, uh, there was like six or seven pitches. So the yeah, the, the venue was actually quite impressive. Parc du Tremblay, I'm sure I'm butchering that pronunciation, but it was basically sort of in the eastern suburbs of Paris. And it was, it was huge. It reminded me actually of, um, you know, just behind Perry Lakes Stadium or whatever it's called these days, HBF Stadium or something uh in Perth and you've got all those pitches uh football pitches I guess I don't know if they're rugby or uh, soccer pitches but it's a massive green area I used to play uh, ultimate frisbee there but it kind of reminded me of the same thing just just an endless expanse of of rugby pitches so we we were using a lot of them um at least in the initial sort of the The morning and early afternoon when everyone was still playing uh and yeah men's and women's and there was a fair there was more men's teams but there was quite a few women's teams as well and the standard was like i was super impressed um the only the only women's game i got to sort of watch in full was the final uh when most of the teams had sort of stopped playing and we watched the the men's and women's final and the women's final was the cork vikings versus the edinburgh bloods uh cork vikings absolutely dominating and winning uh, back-to-back Champions Leagues. But their their skills, their kicking skills and handball skills were just unbelievable. Better than the men's, uh, actually. So we actually had a, a bit of a chat to the, the coach afterwards and said how impressed we were with their skills. And he said, well, you know, the, one, the thing he found was that the women, the one skill that they struggled with in particular was marking the ball. You know, the ball, fairly big relative to the hand size. And I think that overhead marking overhead is not necessarily, you know, a strength of the women, but where they really were really good was the, was the handball and the kicking. And it was, yeah, as I said, probably better than the men's in terms of uh, efficiency, kicking efficiency and handball efficiency it was really impressive. Let's stick on
0: that standard track there, mate. You played against an ex VFL player, if I'm not mistaken. So the standard was, was pretty high. Are there, Kind of we know people have been sourced out of Ireland. Do you think in the future they could be sourcing more and more players from from more different
2: countries? Yeah, I, definitely. I mean going into this, I wasn't sure what the standard would be. Uh, we'd heard rumors that you know the especially the you know, West London Wildcats was the were probably the favorites going in. Uh, they've won the majority of the previous encounters, uh, uh, Champions Leagues. And, you know, the, the rumours were that they're obviously stacked with Aussies. There, was, there is a limit to how many Aussies you can have on the pitch at one time. And the Aussies actually had to wear like a green and gold band on their arm to identify them. So I can't remember exactly out of the nine. I think there was a max of four Australians you could have on a pitch at any time or something like that. But there's obviously loopholes with that, right? Because you know, you, uh, a lot of Aussies who are working and are living in Europe are there on, say, a British passport, like myself, who was born in the UK, or they have a, you know, an Irish granddad or whatever. And so it, it went on your, on what passport you are living in the country in. So obviously a lot of these teams, Oslo included, we have a lot of people who grew up in Australia, but were there on British passports, Irish passports. And that's, I don't think I'm sort of, revealing any huge secrets there all the teams had that so you know you had these teams some of these teams that were had had some real gun players uh, from australia on their team we played actually our final game was against copenhagen and uh, one of the one of those guys was apparently a a vfl player uh, who had played for years in the vfl and clearly showed it i mean he dominated although we did manage to get the win uh even on our team you know we had guys that have played in uh, sort of waffle colts and things like that. The West London team, several, yeah, ex sort of state players. So there was some really, it was a really high caliber uh, of, of game. And yeah, it's a bit intimidating, to be honest, to, to sort of have never played or have, haven't played at that level since I was a teenager. And then to go in and uh, have these guys sort of chasing you down and it was full on um but but i loved it to be honest it was really good uh, to get involved in that and and see that you can you can sort of mix it with these teams so we i'm sure we'll get to it soon but we had some pretty good results i was impressed
1: what did you make of the turnout was there i mean obviously as you say the weather wasn't amazing which probably doesn't help but did you find that there was much in the way of obviously crowds uh was it was it marketed much do you know like how are they promoting it in those those areas
2: no, that's that's probably the one area I think they can AFL Europe can probably improve. Although it's difficult, I understand. But no, there wasn't a whole lot of um, advertising or anything like that, and and no no crowds to speak of, other than the other players, curious onlookers walking their dogs through the park. Uh, in that respect, it was yeah pretty pretty uh, quiet, and the weather certainly didn't help. But um, yeah, you know, it was. It was still a, a great atmosphere. Uh, I think everyone realizes that it's, it doesn't come around often. Obviously, when, when COVID was uh, running rife, you know, it, it didn't happen. So I think 2021 and maybe I think even yeah 2020 and 2021, the tournament didn't happen at all. And then I think it came back last year. And a lot of these teams, as I said, a lot of them have to win their sort of league to even get to that Champions League level. So there's no guarantee that they'll even get back next year and for a lot of them that's that's a real competitive league so the irish league and the and the english league you know there's six seven plus teams all competing and only one or two of them end up playing at this champions league so yeah great atmosphere and we all stayed in the same accommodation which was a, a big backpackers sort of in central paris hadn't done that for years as well so that that took me back staying at a, at a dodgy backpackers but this one was was pretty good, and it had a it had a huge bar below it, so that's where the after party was. Uh, so it was a great setup. They did a really good in terms of logistics. It was fantastic.
1: Was that a Saint Christopher's by any chance?
2: The the bar was called Belushi's, and then and that was yeah directly below a uh, a backpackers. I think you're right. Yeah, Saint Christopher's. Yep. I think there was two in Paris. We were at the Garde du Nord one.
1: I was going to say, Steve, one of the other big positives for you is the crowds might not have been amazing, but you still had more people than a Gold Coast home game.
2: Oh, well done. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I was, very go- Gold Coast I was going to say the last time you stayed in a dodgy Backpackers was probably when you came to the uh, last match, the oval match of the 2019 Ashes with, with me and another mate who won a competition. Uh, yes.
2: Yeah, that's right. That would have been the last time. But yeah, the AFL Europe, I mean, as you said, it was pretty cool that they put it on YouTube. I uh, wasn't expecting that. Um, but then if you go to the AFL Europe site, you know, the, there's not many followers. So I think they need to work on their sort of getting people uh, involved, uh, interested. Um, but yeah, great great logistics. It was a really well-planned day.
1: Where is it next, Do you know?
2: Um, I think it's typically in Amsterdam. So the, the Paris thing was a bit of a one-off. I'm not sure why it was in Paris this year. But I mean... Variety is the spice of life, so that's good that they did it. It But I I know pretty much every other Champions League had been held in Amsterdam, so I'm not sure where it's going next year. But uh, yeah, I sort of, you know, talking to people uh, in the pub afterwards and whatnot, people who had been to multiple Champions Leagues, the verdict was that Amsterdam's venue was a bit better, a bit of a better setup. Although in Paris, everyone had their own change rooms, which was pretty cool every team whereas in Amsterdam I think people are getting changed you know in the open and whatnot so a bit of a mixed bag but most people were voting for Amsterdam but we'll we'll see uh, what happens next year gee I wonder why I hope they're not drug testing <laughs> Not certainly not <laughs> performance enhancing drugs that's for sure if anything to slow you down come on you blokes you know more than just sport.
0: Let me tell you boys, I have an absolute doozy for Just Not Cricket this week. Now, there's plenty of famous pictures producing things that look, well, a little like other things. You may have seen some of the famous pictures of trees that look like they have wood of a different kind. There's even pictures of two trees that look like they're having a root. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And I use the phrase intentionally. You don't need to spend long on the internet to find pictures of suggestive looking eels, for example. Even the humble orchid is said to look like a part of the female anatomy, though I've never found it. Anyways, forgetting pictures for a moment, we also like a funny name. There's Bellend near Licky End in the UK. Given the legalised prostitution in the state, I guess it's not all that surprising that there's places called Three-Way and Dick Shooter in Nevada, though Virgin makes less sense. Closer to home, there's a place called Grandpa's Knob here in Australia. And Steve, if I'm not mistaken, even closer to home, you used to live not too far from the corner of Cockman Road and Penistone Street in Greenwood. But boy, yes. do I have a story that brings it all together. A giant iceberg can be described, well, only as an icy cock and balls, has been spotted floating off the coast of Newfoundland in Canada, not far from a place called Dildo. Not only that, the giant ice structure has been dubbed Dickyberg, a hashtag that's been trending on Twitter, And it originated not far from a place called Conception Bay. It's an incredibly impressive iceberg at approximately nine meters high. And when you consider the current water temperature around Conception Bay at the moment is one degree Celsius, expected to jump to a whopping three degrees tomorrow. Well, imagine how big it would be if there wasn't any shrinkage. Now, we don't often (laughs) do these sort of segments with guests, but given you live in what is ostensibly the slightly less flaccid of the two phallic Scandinavian countries, Steve, we thought you'd include you for this one. Dickie Berg have you seen it
2: I have yeah I just saw it a couple of hours ago uh, scrolling on my phone probably on the bog um, and yep uh, pretty yeah as you say pretty amazing given uh, you've got yeah dildo conception bay this thing which sometimes I think when people say oh you know it's a it's a phallic symbol it's a bit of a stretch but this was almost handcrafted to look like one it was pretty impressive
1: there's bloody veins in it and everything. It's, it's yeah, it's what I, <laughs> it's
2: a work that's what of I mean. It's cut. It yeah. was a work of art. Yeah. Divine intervention. Do
1: you know, the one thing I, I will say though, is I have to say, I'm pretty sure the size of it is slightly inflated. I mean, no, no female iceberg wants a nine meter. Like I think most of them are happy with the average six. <laughs> now right, yeah. I, I, I did a little bit of digging around this area. And obviously you've mentioned dildo, you've mentioned Conception Bay. There's not anything quite as full on as that, but there's some really funny names. And I know, you know, we can't really say much considering we live in Australia, or Nathan and I do anyway. And obviously we've got some stupid names around Australia, but I found places within literally a two minute wandering around the Google map of the area. Tickle Harbor Station, Come By Chance, Goobies, uh, Placentia, Cape Dog, Witless Bay, and Logie Bay Middle Cove Outer Cove. (laughs) <laughs> ridiculous names
2: you i mean you do wonder like how does dildo a newfoundland how do you end up with a name like that like surely i mean someone's taking the piss right did they think like oh, i'll call this place dildo because it's got nothing going for it and it's not going to survive anyway and then it became a thing like how do you how do you come up with that as a name for a town
1: and you can understand obviously most of us will, will know the place in austria that uh, is. Uh, do they pronounce it? Yes, fucking-
2: I, be- I believe you've been there, Stu.
1: No, not yet. Not yet. One of these oh, days.
2: Sorry. Oh, in my head, I had a picture of you next to the fucking uh, sign. But,
1: no, um- no, it's um, <laughs> it's one of these places I would love to get to, and you can understand that because obviously, you know, in Austria, yes, they do speak <laughs> a lot of English there, but it's not, it's not an English-speaking country
2: by nature. But if I'm not mistaken, that
0: fucking sign is uh, one of the most stolen signs <laughs> in the world, which is no surprise yeah. at all.
2: Yeah, and I actually uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe the town has changed its name since, like, quite oh. recently, in the last two years or so, have changed the name because well, Steve, of all got, the, you know, bad publicity and everything.
1: Steve, you've got a one fairly close to you that you go to
2: for work from time to time. What's that
1: one? Uh, it's a certain place that you wouldn't want to go to after you die.
2: <laughs> you've lost me. It's where the demons I mean, I mean, and the devils will be
0: playing in the AFL. Yeah.
1: Certain place in Norway that you went to that starts with an H and ends in L.
0: And it's probably from oh, hell, over.
2: Of course. Yes. Right near Trondheim. Hell. Yep. Yep. So I actually drove through hell and kept going. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, oh, very I was nice. On the way to somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah famous place in Norway. It gets a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, photos and references. There was even a hell shopping center and I think they lap it up to be honest. It's not as bad as fucking, though, so you can kind of lean into it, you know. Hmm. But when your town's called fucking, I guess people take – some people get uh, offended by uh, that many tourists coming to steal signs and get a photo.
1: One last thing I did want to just say about this before we move on. What I found hilarious about this is is that someone who lives has actually put up like a Hollywood sign of sorts that says dildo.
2: (laughs) Hey, crazy theory on dildo, I've just been thinking. Maybe Dildo the town came before Dildo the apparatus. Maybe it was invented there. So we've gone oh, there's long. all sorts
0: of third umpire stuff that the researchers will need to, uh, to look at. But anyway, boys, uh, after the Mason Cox interview and old high school friends getting around to talk about dick jokes, to Mother Nature for giving us some of the best you-can't-make-this-shit-up news of the year, perhaps decade, we say. It's just not Cricket. So,
1: Steve, just quickly, you've obviously alluded to a couple of the results you had. How did you go? Obviously, it's a yep. yeah a big tournament. So, yeah, tell us how you went.
2: Yep. So, you know, just to set the sort of scene here, Oslo had, I think, been to maybe one or two of these tournaments in the past, and they'd never won a game. So, you know, we were going in, uh, we were ranked apparently bottom. And so, you know, for us, uh, the goal was to win a game or yeah, you know, at least at the very least be pretty competitive. So we were in a pool with uh, Edinburgh Bloods, who were uh, a good team. Uh, the Waterland Eagles, which is a team-based sort of suburban Amsterdam. Cesveta Double Blues. I'm probably not saying that right, but that was the Croatian team, uh, sort of suburban Zagreb. Um, and the Berlin Crocodiles, who were also ranked uh, quite highly. Uh, and us, the Oslo Crows. So our first game was against the Edinburgh, and that was a real um, sort of eye-opener. Yeah, it got... Pretty comprehensively beaten, I would say. Uh, and that was our first game as well. Uh, you know, these were pretty short games, so it was hard to get really thrashed. But I think, we, I think we went down by maybe three or four goals. Although, you know, fairly, I thought, fairly competitive. They were just a you know, big team, uh, clearly played regularly together, you know, good communication. And because it was so windy and this particular field that we were on was a lot shorter than the others, for some, well, I know why, because there was a giant hole sort of in the middle of the field and they didn't want people busting ankles or whatever. So they just brought the goalposts up sort of in front of the hole. So yeah, uh, if you were kicking with the breeze, um, you could kick a goal from sort of behind the, the center line behind, you know, sort of from half back, you could kick a goal. And they had one guy who could really uh, kick a footy. So he could kick two goals from miles out with the breeze. But yeah, that was, that was our biggest defeat. I would, from memory, it was yeah, sort of maybe three goals or something like that, but the rest of the games, you know, super competitive. Uh, Waterland Eagles was our next game and uh, we were leading the entire time and then lost it in probably the final two minutes or so went down by a few points. And then the third game we played uh, this Zagreb team, uh, the the double blues. And um, yeah, as, as we said earlier, you know, scary looking uh, big guys, but we, We actually beat them, which was fantastic. I think it was 20 to nine uh, in the end. And that was, that gave us a fair bit of confidence. And they actually went on to finish fifth in the tournament. They didn't, that was the only game they lost, I believe, in their pool round. So we were, you know, that was really impressive. Super happy with the team for that. And then our final, and that was our first game to be televised as well. There was one on YouTube where I got smashed uh, in the tackle. (laughs) And then our fourth and final pool game was Berlin Crocodiles, and that was also televised. Uh, one of the guys on our team took an absolute screamer of a mark. Don't know if you saw that, Stewie. But uh, I, I'm in the frame because I'm sort of <laughs> waiting for the scraps. But he he took uh, an absolute hanger, which was awesome. Uh, and that one, we we went down by maybe I don't know, nine points or something like that. They ended up actually drawing with the Croatian team um, and finished. So they went into the semifinals. So they actually finished fourth uh, out, of the whole, out of the whole thing. Uh, and the Croatian team finished fifth. So the way that it worked was after the whole round robin, uh, everyone had played within their pool sort of thing. You know, you were ranked based on obviously wins, draws and losses. And then I think it came down to, you know, point difference and that sort of thing. Um, so from our, from our, we had a very competitive group. So yeah, I think Berlin finished fourth and played against, so they played in the semifinals uh, against Belfast. And the Croatian team finished fifth. Ended up playing sort of the fifth versus six, which six was a Swedish team, uh, and and the and the Croatian team won it, I believe. So yeah, two of the game, two of the things we played against finished fourth and fifth out of you know sixteen odd teams, which was pretty impressive. Um, we we ended up finishing eleventh, uh, so we we played eleventh versus twelfth, and the twelfth team was Copenhagen, uh, the Barracudas, who have finished really high previously sort of played semi-finals and things, but they were missing a few of their key players that couldn't make the tournament, but we ended up beating them. Um, so that was the, that was our two wins and three losses record, which we were stoked with uh, and competitive in pretty much all our games. And then we watched, um, yeah, we watched the semifinal, one of the men's semifinals where yeah, Belfast beat uh, Berlin, the team that we had played in the pools to go through And then West London Wildcats um, beat the Paris team, who were pretty strong, a really strong team, the Paris team. Paris Cox, as they were called. Um, And, uh, yeah, they went through to the final with Belfast. Uh, And everyone, you know, that was great to watch. Everyone was expecting West London to take it out. Uh, Belfast had actually beaten West London in the pool rounds because they were in the same pool. But everyone thought that that was sort of going to be uh, righted in the final. But Belfast actually took it out um, convincingly in the end by a couple of goals. And it was amazing to see. And as I said earlier, you know, Belfast was an entirely Irish team from what I could see. Maybe maybe one or two Australians.
0: It's funny you mention that, Steve, because I've had a good listen to the AFL Europe podcast and shout out to them. I listened to episodes 38, 39 and 40 today. There was uh, CJ Murphy from the Cork Vikings She's also a sports psychologist, so that was a really interesting. Listen, Declan McClements from the Belfast Redbacks, uh, he was talking about drinking it all in after winning, and as an Irishman, I couldn't help but feel that he was probably speaking both figuratively and literally. Uh, and episode 40 had uh, Nicholas Boucher from the French Cox, as you mentioned. So, yeah, we would encourage people to, to have a listen to those.
2: Yeah, I actually, I listened to the one with Declan the other day um, because I saw that it was about... Yeah, his sort of uh, reflections on the tournament and their big win, as, we said, as I said, yeah, Belfast took it out um, pretty convincingly in the end. Uh, and they had, everyone was going for them. Uh, there was clearly a sort of bias to see uh, West London lose. Um, but uh, yeah, they took it out. And yeah, as he said, they celebrated well on into the evening. I can't say the same for most of us, you know, every, as I said, everyone was staying at the same place and we all went back to this pub that was at the base of the accommodation. And, you know, the plan was to, to just uh, get shit faced basically, but the day is so long. I mean, we were up at six breakfast was at six thirty, and then the buses were leaving at seven and then first games were at nine o'clock and it basically went through till five. And then it was, you know, bus back to the accommodation and the traffic was horrendous. Don't think we got back to the accommodation till six, and then you're showering and whatever. So you're just you just knackered. So I think I don't think many of our team lasted much beyond sort of 10:30 or so, 11, me included. And of course I'm you know I'm nearly 40, so of course I'm going to struggle being the old being the old guy. But um, they uh, they had good reason to stay out all night, obviously.
0: Now speaking of celebrating, Steve, do you use the crow's song because there's quite a few more syllables in South Australia than there are in Oslo.
2: Pride of Scandinavia. Ah, of, course, of course, of
0: course. Very good.
2: It works really well, and uh, I did suggest it. I think it was uh, it used to that had, had sort of noted that. Uh, so I did suggest on the day, look, if we get a win here, we need to sing with the Pride of Scandinavia, with the mighty Oslo Crows. And, yeah, it, it did get a bit of traction, but uh, we never sang it. We need to learn more of the words, I think, first. But it does, it does work pretty well. Oh,
1: writes itself, mate! It's absolutely perfect. I I love that, and I I love the fact that you even got into a position where you could, you know, have an opportunity to sing it had you been so inclined. I think that that's a brilliant, brilliant effort.
2: <laughs> Thanks. And you know, speaking of the names, uh, you know, of the of the teams and stuff, there's some brilliant for the listeners. You know, uh, some of the creativity that comes up is just brilliant. Uh, I'm looking through the the site here. You know, at various clubs, uh, the Leipzig Quackers, for example. <laughs> uh, Always, yeah. Zuffenhausen Giants, the Kiel Koalas. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the list goes on. Um, there's some pretty good ones. The Vienna Galars, oh, uh, were I love there. it,
0: sensational. Yeah, the Vienna
2: Galars were competing at the Champions League, so that was probably my favorite name. And they even had a jersey with like, I don't know, cockatoo colors on it. Oh, like- I thought you
0: were gonna say Alf Stewart.
2: No, no, <laughs> <laughs> with it, yeah, just a picture of Alf on yeah, the front a of the picture of Alf looking better. angry. No, they had the you know what pink, white, and grey, I guess, are the colours of a galar. So they had the pink, white, and grey stripes. Um, and they, you know, when people sort of get into a huddle before the game and it's, you know, go team or whatever, uh, you've got your little chant. Theirs was up the pink. So uh <laughs> <laughs> that's obviously <awesome>. not <laughs> Yeah, so you just hear from like three pitches away, up the pink. Um, so good on them. Oh, that's great. They did actually. They did at the end, um, kind of create a like team of the tournament. Ah, the All Australian. Uh, yeah, like a, <laughs> like, a an all, like an all-Australian, like an All Australian, like an All Australian team. They had sort of an all all European team, you could say. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, and one of our boys actually made the team. Oh, ah, great work! So, yeah. So. Uh, oh, give Willis. him a bit of love.
0: You you better mention the name yep. of the guy that took the hanger yep. as well. Hey, we better put their names in lights. Just
1: quickly, Steve. Before you do that, I do it. I know you mentioned it earlier. I did actually miss the hanger. Unfortunately, I mistimed timed. It went down to the shops to get a few more snacks because, unlike you running around athletically, I'm sitting at home watching stuff with a big bowl of chocolate and chips.
2: <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't say I was running around athletically, but I was plodding along. Yeah. No. Shout out! Shout out to Willis Flanders who made the uh, made the all European team, and uh, and Danny Orkema who took the absolute hanger. Um, which was yeah, a ripper.
0: Absolutely. Shout out boys. Now, one of the things Steve that I'm really interested in, I've never lived abroad before, but I'm really interested in how people follow sports kind of internationally. So how do you kind of keep touch with the AFL? I actually remember when I visited you, I think it was the same year Stewie did when you mentioned, Yeah, um, you actually said at that point, and now I know the Eagles aren't going as well now as they were back then, they were not too far removed from a premiership back then, but I remember you actually saying you almost felt like you watched more while you were in Norway. Was that right?
2: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, the AFL have a pretty good system actually in terms of this app. It's called Watch AFL, and it's you know it's it's getting more and more. It's getting steeper and steeper every year. But I think at the moment it's maybe two hundred and fifty bucks Aussie um, that you pay, and you get access to everything. So every every game, uh, round game, uh, all the finals. You get the Brownlow medal sort of count you get a few of the shows as well uh you know afl 360 bounce these kind of shows um and so and so that and with the time difference for me at least being sort of six to eight hours depending on if it's being played in the west or the east it's kind of works out pretty well with when you wake up so you sort of wake up and um you know chuck chuck the the app on and there's usually a, a game live so yeah i i end up watching probably more afl here than i did Back
0: home. Who's your pick to win it this year, Stevie? Maybe maybe you can give us a Brownlow tip too.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm never any good on the Brownlow. I'm, uh, I mean, who's who's had a good start?
0: Nick Dacos. I was about to say, Nick Dacos. Yeah, I mean,
2: the- yeah, yeah, Nick. Yeah, true. I mean, Collingwood, you'd have to, I guess, if you gen- generally, your, your Brownlow medal winners come from teams that sort of finish pretty high up the ladder right I'm, I'm not sure of the what the ratio is but i would have thought it's pretty high so with collingwood on top dacos flying yeah i mean he'd be a pretty good a safe bet early on wouldn't he and they're looking really good collingwood so i would probably tip collingwood at the moment that's maybe uh, too safe but you never know you know the, there's often teams that that peak too early uh that that could be the case they they weren't called the collie wobbles for nothing you know they've sort of Come undone several times in the in the past, but uh, yeah, they're looking pretty strong and they they got a lot of, of depth. So uh, I'll say Collingwood. Now,
0: please tell me you saw the Will Ashcroft goal. Maybe goal of the century.
2: Do you remember the
1: Daniel Wells goal for North Melbourne against Freo where there was a bounce down inside the goal square and he's launched and grabbed it and thrown it on the boot in one motion? Do you remember that one? Yes. So he's
2: done that, but right on the boundary line. Right. I don't think I saw that. Oh, mate, I seek to, it uh, out. Uh,
0: it is nuts. A crazy angle. And a bit of trivia, Brisbane became the first club to win both the mark of the round and goal of the round in back-to-back rounds. So goal of the round, Charlie Cameron and Will Ashcroft. And then mark of the round, Joey Danaher and Josh Dunkley. So there you go.
2: Well done, Brizzy. And they're, they're going pretty well as well. Although I, yeah, I don't think they'll go all the way. Yeah, they're always another
0: one of those teams where
1: they look really good, like sort of regular season bullies, and then you get to the finals and pretty much, unless it's 2001, yeah, they, they just shit the bed. So, Steve, one thing we do like to do with all of our guests, and we finish the show with this every time, we want you to tell us about your favorite sporting memory. Now, this is, look, we generally like to say something that you've seen live. I'm more than happy if it's something that you haven't seen live, but you know, something that you've kind of watched live. However you want to
2: go with it, go nuts. You did give me warning on this, which was good. And I had a bit of a thing. And I've, I've actually got three in no particular order. Um, I guess my, the first one would be going to the 1998 AFL grand final. Uh, so that was with the footy team. I mentioned that was literally the last time I played competitive footy 25 years ago. And, you know, that was the the team I played for, Corrine. Uh We yeah, fundraised for two years or something, washing cars and selling chocolates. You remember you'd get those like, boxes of Maltesers and M&Ms or whatever, and you'd go knock door to door and try and flog them. Uh, Doing all that sort of stuff, you know, raising money to go to Melbourne. And that was great because we, yeah, we went over, I think probably on the Thursday and then we went to the, to the parade on the Friday. And then we went to an AFL breakfast Saturday morning. And uh, it just so happened, you know, I think it was whatever team they could sort of get seats at, you know, and it just so happened to us, for us that it was the Adelaide Crows who played, in that AFL grand final. So for those who don't remember, it was Adelaide versus North Melbourne. That's right. So we happened to go to their breakfast uh, and they were in the, in the grand final. So that was a great feeling. And then we went to the granny, obviously, and the whole pre-show thing uh, was awesome. Uh, I don't remember if they had someone sort of famous, you know, playing music at halftime or whatever. I don't know if they did that back then, but I do remember these sort of jets flying really low over the stadium, you know, before the game and everything. It was awesome. And then the game itself was also a really good game. Um, North threw up by about, I think, five or six goals at halftime.
1: Oh, it was four, 51-27. Uh,
2: there you go. Right. So, you know, there's sort of this feeling of, oh, uh, the game's done. You know, uh, they're going to win it. Uh, that was Wayne Carey and, and at his peak, uh, peak powers. Uh, and then coming out after halftime, you know, Andrew McLeod just, just tore them apart uh, and they reeled him in. And ended up winning it, as you say, Nath. So that was a that was an awesome sporting memory for me. Uh, And then closely following that, probably on equal terms, actually, was actually one that I have with you guys, which was the 2007 Cricket World Cup, uh, which I'm sure you've spoken about a lot on this show, reminisced about. And that was that the whole experience was just amazing. You know, we were in the Caribbean for what was it, six weeks, maybe, following the Aussie team around uh, on various caribbean islands sort of right through the port stage into the finals and and then the infamous grand final uh in barbados and i mean as an aussie as an aussie fan i don't think you could get a better experience uh than that you know because australia were just at the peak of their powers you know we were just so dominant maybe that's not everyone's cup of tea that they want to be nervous and they want to sort of see their team struggle but win but you know For me, it just doesn't get any better than waking up, going to a game with sort of 99% certainty that you're going to smash the opposition. I just loved it. Uh, And then we, yeah, made it through to the final versus Sri Lanka. There's, of course, the debacle with the lights and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think maybe I'm a bit biased, but I think the game was largely done and dusted before that became an issue. Um, At least in my memory, you know, the run rate was sort of 13 and over or something before the light got sort of to that point where you couldn't really play properly. It's funny you
0: mention it, Steve, because we did talk about it in Blokes Banter. I think episodes 56 and 60, if I'm not mistaken. And actually, they misapplied the Duckworth-Lewis rule. So actually, the game was meant to be over earlier than it was. Absolute farcical right. scenes. Farcical.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. And, and, you know, not take nothing away from sort of the issue. It, it was a, it was a <laughs> disgrace, uh the way it panned out. And just such a disappointment given how well I thought it was generally run. Um, there was a bit of, I remember in Antigua when it rained and they were, you remember they were trying to soak up the water with those like giant sponges? And squeegees, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that, yes. was, <laughs> that was interesting. But generally it was a pretty well-run tournament, I thought. But so, yeah, it was a shame to sort of end like that. But, yeah, I mean, seeing Adam Gilchrist just go absolutely berserk with that ball, what did he have in his, was was it? Uh, a, squash, squash, squash ball. Squash ball. Yeah. I was going to say a ping pong, ping pong ball, but that would have just got crushed. Yeah, it was a squash <laughs> really? ball. And I mean, he was just launching them. I'd never seen such a clean hitting in my life. It was just amazing. So that is also one of my favorite sporting memories, just that whole thing. And, you know, we obviously went with a bunch of mates and just loved it. Literally uh, you know, once in a lifetime thing, I would say.
0: I remember you coming around to my student accommodation in Leaming and we were planning away and fantasizing about all the great times we were going to get up to over there in the Caribbean and it was just about everything we could have imagined, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we spent a good three, four years planning that, I remember. Uh, you know, and not, of all, not all of us were sort of working full time at that stage. Most of us were still students. And so, you know, it was a lot of saving and sort of trying to make things as efficient as possible. But we did it. And, um, yeah, so glad we did that because it would just be almost impossible to do now with, you know, a lot of us having kids and whatnot. So, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And then, um, yeah, the, the final one I had was actually sort of something I, I watched it live, but I wasn't physically there, which was the uh, 2006 Football World Cup where Australia, you know, probably had their best team ever with Kewl and Varduka and uh, Cahill. Cahill, yeah. Yeah, and in particular, it was that first game, Japan versus Australia. It had taken, it was such a, and I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I do like watching the (laughs) World Cup. Um, And I'd watched their sort of battle to get there where they beat Uruguay in that penalty shootout in Sydney, which was in itself an amazing, you know, sort of sporting moment. I remember watching that as well. But, you know, they got there and they had a fairly difficult pool. And they were playing Japan where they, you know, it was sort of a must-win game if they were going to progress. And they went down sort of 1-0 within maybe 20 minutes or so. A bit of a sort of controversial goal, if I remember. Uh, And then it was sort of, it looked like it was going to peter out into sort of a 1-0 victory to Japan. It was maybe 70 minutes in or something like that and nothing had really happened. And And then Cahill just went berserk. Got the two goals, and then I think it was he got the third, uh, all in the space of maybe 15 minutes towards the end of the game, and just just amazing, you know. And then you sort of believed again that they could actually get out of their pool, which they did, and pushed uh, Italy, you know, who ended up winning it all right to the end. So that was uh, that was pretty cool, uh, sort of sporting memory as well. I remember watching that at home with uh, a good mate of ours. Can't remember if you one of you guys was. Oh, we were all there, mate. Mom. We're all we're all, we're all at your mum's house, huddled around at my the. At mum's place. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's that is sort of firmly uh burnt into my brain actually. At least watching it. Obviously forgot you blokes were there. I knew there was a few of us there, but I couldn't remember which ones exactly. And then I remember watching that Italy game that I just spoke about at another one of our friends' houses. Bitter disappointment at the end there.
1: Oh the dive. I, I did want to just quickly say, Steve, the, the goals from Cahill and Aloisi were actually all eight minutes apart. So Cahill didn't actually get his first till the eighty fourth. And then the eighty fourth
2: so minute. Yeah. Right.
1: And then the 89th yeah. minute to go ahead and Aloisi in the second minute, stoppage time. Very, yeah, very just cool. Just
2: amazing. Yeah, and I remember that that sort of horrible feeling of, ah, uh, it was so hard to get here and now they've kind of blown it, <laughs> you, you could argue, in the first game. And then to turn it around like that was just unbelievable. Uh, yeah.
1: The thing thing, I guess, that it's easy to forget, though, is just how... Well, Australia played. I mean, Brazil beat them two nothing, but it took until the 90th minute before the second goal was scored. They've been really tough in that, as you mentioned. The game against Italy was right down to the wire, not been for an absolutely bullshit dive. You just never know. The Australians might have gone on to win that penalty. Who knows?
2: I know. Yeah, no, that was ama- amazing. Um, amazing effort from the from the team, and I mean, you could argue the the World Cup that's just gone was maybe even more impressive, given. They didn't sort of have the firepower that uh, the, the 2006 team had. But nonetheless, that was, I guess, the first time Australia made it out of the pool and, and sort of proved that, you know, the, they've got the talent um, in Australia to, to really push some of these sort of, you know, A-grade teams all the way.
0: I'm not going to lie, Steve. I'm a tiny bit disappointed that the Kobe no game didn't make the cut. But, uh...
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's right up there as well. Uh, you're referring to the Lakers versus Portland game. <laughs> Uh, on that was actually part of that sort of Caribbean tour. We stopped in LA and Vegas on the way. And yeah, we went to an NBA and an NHL game. And uh, the NBA game was definitely the better of the two. And uh, Kobe, it just so happened, that was the highest scoring game Kobe had that, that season, right? And I think it might be his absolutely- second highest of all
0: time behind the 81, actually.
2: Yeah, was yeah it was at 50 something, that- 58 points or something like that? 65. 65. Yeah, And it was just, <laughs> no, I mean, to funny. see that... Yeah, I mean you're right. Uh, to see that in person uh, was just unbelievable. Um, and they they were double teaming him, triple teaming him. Up, you know, it just didn't matter. Um, and I guess it, it's taken on even more relevance now with obviously what happened to Kobe. You know that tragedy. That it was just awesome to see him at, at the peak of his powers. So yeah, that that's up there as well. Um, you're absolutely right. Couldn't squeeze them all in, but that was pretty pretty cool. So, Stevie, you want to give any plugs while you're on the show? Plugs, as in um, no, I'm not trying to flog anything or sell anything. Just a, <laughs> but it, just a general shout out, I guess, to the Oslo Crows. You know, they, it's um, you know, when you live overseas and you got young kids and whatnot, it's always a, yeah, a struggle to sort of make new mates, especially as you get a bit older. You just don't have the time with work and everything. So it's been a great experience to sort of get to know them and train and uh, get a little bit fitter than I was, I guess. Um, and you know, the the chief organizer down there, his name's Craig. Uh, so shout out to Craig for all his work.
0: Well, Steve, we know you've got to uh, rush off to the daycare to pick up the little ones. So thank you so much for your time. You've been very, very generous with it. We've had a great discussion. And uh, thanks for enlightening
2: us a little bit more about AFL Europe. No problem, guys. Uh, fantastic to be on Sports Folks. Uh Love listening to it. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me.
1: My absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, all right, Stu, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time.
1: Jeez, what an interesting conversation. And so great to see the rise of AFL, not just in Australia, but all across the, the corners of the European continent. Really, really great to watch. I actually really enjoyed watching a few of those games that we got the opportunity to see on YouTube. And so great to get some really in-depth answers and some great background on all the cool stuff going on over there.
0: And I guess the older we get, the more we appreciate grassroots and that sort of thing. Thank you so much to Steve. Great interview. A massive shout-out to Mason Cox again for all the work he's done. More NBA coming soon. Until next time, I'm Nate And I'm Stu. We are the Sportblokes.